Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? morning. Welcome to all of you tuning in online as well. Um, It's going to be a great day today. It's already been a great day uh, today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. If we haven't had the chance to to meet yet, um, I am uh, blessed to be on staff here with a great team. And um, Pastor Jim today is actually at our Elkhart campus. If you're uh, if you're new to Grace, um, we launched a couple of weeks ago a brand new campus in Elkhart, uh, meeting at M- uh, Monger Elementary and on Hively Avenue. And so he's there today, just uh, encouraging that group of folks. We sent about a hundred of our own there to launch that campus uh, a number. Uh, of weeks ago, and things are going so well. So keep praying. It's exciting what God is going to do. Uh, but we're kicking off, or we're, next week we're going to be kicking off a new series called Joyride, and it's a look at the book of Philippians. And so definitely show up next week. Pastor Jim's going to be kicking that new series off today. We're ending our series that we've been in, Run It Back, and uh, I've entitled the message today, Perspective is a Game Changer. Perspective is a game changer. You know, these last two years have been brutal. <laughs> it's, been, it's been really, really, really hard, right? We've been thrown curveball after curveball after curveball. Many of you got to try out what it's like to be a homeschooler, right? Uh, and some of you realize, like, okay, that's why I'm not a homeschooler. Uh, I was just talking to a guy just a few minutes ago. He, he said that uh, since they were forced into homeschooling, um, it actually, they decided they were going to continue doing that. And so maybe that's, that's you. But some of you had to deal with incredible challenges in your workplace over, over the last two years. Uh, some of you are shaking your head like, yes. Um, never thought you would have to deal with some of the challenges that you're dealing with right now, probably in your work, supply chain issues and and employment issues, finding help, and, and, and it's just been really, really hard. My guess is uh, most of us, if not all of us, know at least one person or several people that have passed away in the last two years unexpectedly, um, some from COVID, some from other reasons, but it's been really, really hard. Uh, there's been a lot of death. Uh, around us. And we know that God is good. And in spite of all of that, God is still sitting on the throne. He's sovereign. He's in control. He's not surprised by any of what's gone on in the last two years. Amen. Uh, But it's been hard. And, And when we find ourselves in times like this, there's something that all of us need. It's something you need, something I need. And we need perspective. We need perspective. Perspective is a really interesting principle. Webster says this about perspective. Uh, Perspective, it gives the right impression of height and width and depth and position in relation to each other when viewed from a particular point, okay? And that last phrase there, from a particular point, is, is a really important phrase uh, because that particular point uh, puts, puts everything in alignment with the right view. See, if we're not looking at things from the proper place, from a particular point that we should be looking at things, nothing's going to make sense. Everything's going to be skewed and, 
and out of alignment. A number of years ago, uh, we like to go up to St. Joe, Michigan. Some of you go up there, Silver Beach. It's a great, great place. We went up there uh, a number of years ago, and they were having a sidewalk chalk art festival. And they brought in all kinds of artists uh, from all over the place, and they just, uh, you know, you'd walk down the street and you would see just the art exhibit was was made with chalk on on the street. But here's the thing: you would you'd be coming up to uh, a piece of art on the street, and it wouldn't make any sense. Like it just looked like a bunch of colors uh, chalked on on the road. Uh, some of the artists would actually draw a pair of feet where they wanted you to stand, and that was really helpful because then you could stand right where you were supposed to, look at the art, and all of a sudden, okay, it makes sense right? Why? Well, because I was looking at it from the right perspective. Perspective is, is really important. Perspective is also interesting because it's very personal. It's very personal. We experience everything based on how we're positioned and um, our perspective in situations and in seasons of life is, is, is similar to the chalk art that, that I just talked about. How we're positioned, how we're aligned in terms of our perspective completely impacts how we experience situations. And so that's why we need to examine our perspective. Uh, that's why perspective is really, really important. A couple things I want to say as we kind of launch into this. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's not just about having a positive outlook on our situations, right? Uh, so that doesn't really help our perspective. Uh, when, when you're walking through a tough season trying to convince yourself that it's all good or it's all really good, even when it's not, or that it could be worse, uh, it, it won't really correct our perspective. See, perspective isn't about choosing to see our situation as, as good or not as bad as it could be. It's about seeing our position in relationship to God. That's what's going to give us perspective. Now, sometimes we can be standing in the right spot, like our feet right on where we're supposed to, right on, right on the outline of where our feet are supposed to go in life situations, and things still don't look, make sense. Still, things still don't make sense, right? Uh, Paul talks about this uh, in Corinthians. He says that we see life through a dim, almost like a dim mirror. Like there are times that we look at life situations and it just doesn't make sense to us. That it's uh, a reflection, a dim reflection. And then Paul says that now I know in part but there's going to come a day when I will know fully, right? And, and so sometimes, even when you're standing in the right spot, and maybe you can relate to this right now because you're going through something that's just really, really, really hard, and you're doing your best to stay connected to the Lord through it, and you still, it still doesn't make any sense, right? But it's in those moments when we can't see what God sees, here's what I want you to know. We can still see God. We can still trust in God. Our, our passage today is a lesson really in perspective. It really is a lesson in perspective. It's going to help us see our lives in relationship to God. And when we do, when we gain the right godly perspective, the view of our lives, it begins 
to make more sense to us. So I want you to turn in your Bibles uh, to Psalm chapter 90. Uh, I'm going to invite you to stand in just a couple of minutes. But right now, I just want you to turn to Psalm 90. I want to give you some context for where we're going today uh, so that it will help you uh, just kind of better understand perspective in the passage that we're going to look at. Psalm chapter 90. Uh, What I want you to do is right where it says Psalm 90, the heading, what does it say? What does the the italicized uh, subscript, superscript there say right under Psalm 90? What's it say? Say Say it for me. What's it say? A prayer of Moses, the man of God. So right now we know that we're about ready to read a prayer. Okay, so this Psalm 90 is a prayer, and we know who wrote it. It it was written by Moses, and um, uh, my guess is that it was written in in the midst of their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. It was a very confusing time for Moses, leading 2 to 3 million people through the wilderness. You know, they had seen God's hand deliver them from from Egypt. Uh, They were headed to the promised land. And incidentally, it's only an 11-day journey from Egypt to Canaan. It should have taken them 11 days. It ended up taking them 40 years. So that's disappointment right there, right? That's, That's a lot of disappointment. That's a lot of death because of Israel's rebellion against God, a whole generation had to die in the wilderness. So we're talking funeral after funeral after funeral. Disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. It was confusing. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of this just really dark time for Moses and for the Israelites, uh, he wrote this prayer. And it's a prayer of perspective. So with that context in mind, let's go ahead and stand this morning. We're going to read the first 12 verses out loud together. Psalm 90, we're going to begin at verse 1. We're going to read through verse 12. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Read. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our days with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's read verse 12 again out loud together. Ready? Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's say it again, but this time no looking, okay? Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You may have a seat. 
So the first 11 verses of Psalm 90, uh, we're going to look at two realities that Moses gives us. And then the remaining six verses, we're going to look at two action steps. So two realities I'm going to give you today, two action steps that we should take to give us a good perspective on, on life. Reality number one, if you're taking notes, is this. God is eternal and unchanging. Look at verse one and two again with me. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout, what's the next word? All generations, okay? Not just Moses' generation, not just the generation that, were, they, they, that they were in right then and there, but the generations before them and all of the generations after them, all generations. And it says this, before the mountains were born, before the mountains were even there, you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting you are God. So Moses is painting this picture. God is big. He zooms out. He helps us see time from a very different perspective. I can imagine Moses kind of looking at Mount Sinai, maybe when he was penning these words uh, or thinking about these words, saying, Lord, before this mountain was even here, you existed. Before this mountain was even here, you were, were here. God is everlasting to everlasting. He isn't the beginning to everlasting because he always was. He's everlasting to everlasting. That means God has no beginning. God has no end. He exists from eternity to eternity. Every doctrine that we hold close to us, that we believe is true from God's word, every doctrine, every truth we believe would collapse if this wasn't true. The fact that, that God is eternal. Every doctrine is woven into that reality. And not only that, not only is God uh, eternal, but he's also, un, or not only is he unchanging, but he's, he's, he's eternal. Uh, look at verse 4. Verse 4 says, it says, a thousand years in your sight is like what? It's like a day that's just gone by or like a watch in the night. A watch in the night was three hours block of time. So a thousand years is like a day. It's like a snap of a finger to God. Now, I, I was thinking about this this week. Like, what would have been like a thousand years ago? Zoom back to a thousand. If you were able to go in a time machine and you were able to go back to 1,022 and, and think about that. The Normans hadn't invaded England yet. Vikings were establishing small settlements in North America. We were in the Middle Ages a thousand years ago. No electricity, no refrigeration, no Facebook. I think you know that. No indoor plumbing, no hot and cold running water, no central air, no central heating. Medicine was mostly done with herbs by the healer in the village. Lots of people died. Lots of people were handicapped. Lots of people lived short amount of lives. Some lived 70 years. Some lived 80 years. Uh, contagious diseases ran rampant. People worked from sunup to sundown, usually seven days a week. Very few were educated, so there was no reading for learning, no reading for enter entertainment. All tools were handmade. 
Most cloth was homespun. And Moses says, in light of eternity, that God looks at all of that like it was, like it was yesterday, a thousand years ago, like it, was, like it was a watch in the night, like it was three hours ago. This past year has been a blur uh, for so many of us, for all of us. It really has. Uh, and nobody here knows what the rest of the year will bring. No, nobody, nobody here knows that. Uh, and God stands outside of time. He knows what the rest of this year is going to bring. Um, and, and so we need to have that perspective that God is, is eternal, that he's unchanging, uh, even in the midst of, of, uh, of what we're going through, even in these less than ideal living situations. The verse 1 talks about God being our dwelling place. This, this word dwelling place in the original Hebrew carries on the idea of a retreat, that God is our retreat. It's this idea that, that when we make God our dwelling place, we can be at home with him, that we can relax in him, that we can rest in, in him, that he's our safe haven, even when stuff doesn't make sense, even when we're standing in the middle of, uh, of a situation and we can't see, it's blurry in front of us, nothing makes sense, that we can rest in God, that he is, he is eternal and he is unchanging and he is our refuge. So that's the, that's the first reality, that God is eternal, God is unchanging. Reality number two that Moses wants to give us is this, that our life is short and hard. Our life is short and hard. Moses next invites us to consider our lives in view of, 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 of God, in contrast to God. Look at verse, verses 5 and 6. It, it says this, it says, yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning, it springs up new, but by evening, it is dry and it is withered. Life is short. The human life, even the longest of human lives is short. It's just short. And Moses says it's like grass that grows up in the morning. It springs. It's got new life. It's green. It's vibrant. And by the end of the day, the hot sun scorches it and it's dead. That, that's how, how quick life is in comparison to an everlasting God. And I like to say this, it's brief like fruit stripe gum. You know what I'm talking about? Like fruit stripe gum. Isn't that, isn't that, isn't that true? That's why the packs are so big on fruit stripe gum because like you need to eat the whole pack to get satisfied. Because like, it's like the best tasting gum in the world for about two seconds. And then, you know, you're, you're throwing it, you know, throwing it away. But that's what life is like. It's, it's brief. And not only that, but Moses says that it's really, really hard. Look at verse 7 through 9. says that we are consumed by your what? By your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All of our days, they pass away under your wrath, we finish our years with a moan. Life is extremely hard. Why is life so hard? Yeah, I've wondered that. Have you ever asked that question? Why has life got to be so hard? Why do I have to go through this situation? Like, why 
doesn't this make any sense to me? Why, do I, why does life have to be so hard? Well, not to sound trite, but the answer to that is an answer you already know. It's because of sin, right? Life is hard because of sin. Remember why so many were dying in the, in the wilderness. They'd, they'd rebelled against God. They rebelled against God after the spies had, had returned from Canaan. They sent 12 spies into Canaan to kind of spy things out, search things out, often wonder why Moses did that because maybe if they hadn't sent people in, they would have just taken God at face value and, and they would have just went in not knowing what to expect. But I think in our humanness, we want to know what's coming. Like we want to we make it feel like we're in control. And they send out 12 spies, and, and, and two of them, only two of them came back, Joshua and Caleb, right? They said, we can do this. God is with us. We can't fail. They had the proper perspective, but then there was 10 spies that saw it differently. They saw how difficult it was going to be, and fear gripped them. Fear gripped them. And because of their rebellion, they rebelled against God, uh, God said you can't enter. A whole generation is going to have to pass away, going to have to die uh, before you enter into the promised land. Turn to Numbers chapter 14 uh, for, for a moment. Numbers chapter 14, verse 35. Uh, it, says, it says this, speaking of, of their rebellion, uh, it says, I, the Lord have spoken, and I will surely do these things to this whole, what? What's he call them? Wicked community, which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in this wilderness. Here they will die. They were living and they were dying in tents in the wilderness as the consequence of sin. So we're not... We're not living in tents and we're not dying in the wilderness, but life is still unbearably hard. And we're still uh, dealing with the results of human sin and the ravages of sin and the mess that sin has made in our, our world. We're still dealing with God's righteous anger against human rebellion, against high treason committed before a sovereign and and holy God. This is why we need Jesus. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came and died so that the wrath of God could be satisfied through his blood and his righteousness on the cross for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21, many of you know this verse, he who knew no sin, he, he what? He became what? He became sin for us so that in him, in Jesus, we may have the righteousness of God. So that when God looks at us, his wrath is satisfied in the person of Jesus Christ. And so every hope that we have is placed in, in Jesus and his finished work on the cross on our behalf. But that still doesn't escape the fact that life is short and it's really, really hard. Life is short and it's hard. So in light of these two realities, Moses gives us two action steps to take. Two action steps. Action step number one, write this down. He says, number your days. Moses says, in light of what we know, God is eternal. 
Life is short and very hard. Number your days. Number your days. Look at verses 10 through 12. Moses says this, Our days may come to 70 years or 80. And what's, that, what's it say? Say it with me. What's the phrase say after that? It says what? If our strength, what? Endures. That means that there's no guarantee. That's a big if. We might have 20 minutes. We might have 20 years. We might have 50 years to go. We might have two minutes to go. It says, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and will fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. And then he says this, teach us. Give us perspective. We need your perspective, God. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Moses says that we need to number our days days. There's a story that was written a number of years ago. Nobody knows who, who wrote it. Maybe you've seen it. Uh, it's been, it floats around every now and again. It's not a Christian story, but I think you'll find uh, that in this story is, is the reality of what we're talking about today. Um, at, the, at the risk of boring you, okay, because I know what it's like when Naomi says, hey, I want to read you something. <sighs> okay, don't look at your watch. I want you just to tune in to me right now, and I want you to listen, listen to the story. I'll do my best to try to not make it boring. But it's a story called 1,000 Marbles. 1,000 Marbles. This is what it says. It says, early one Saturday morning a couple of weeks ago, I was walking toward my garage with a, cu- with a hot cup of coffee in one hand and a newspaper tucked under my arm. That sounds like a good Saturday. I climbed the stairs into the loft of my garage where I've got a cozy little office set up and against one wall, a ham radio equipment. I took a sip of my coffee as the radio was warming up. Yeah, this is an old one. Has the tubes inside that need to heat up before this thing will get going. As it's warming up, it starts humming, so I plug in my speaker instead of my headphones, and I begin to turn the dial of the, on the front to see if I can get a fix on a strong station. I'm picking up the usual static and a few weak signals, but all of a sudden, this strong-sounding this strong voice and signal comes up. This guy has a great voice, the kind you would expect to be working in radio. You could tell he was an older guy. So he's talking to someone and he's sharing his story of a thousand marbles. It caught my attention. So I sat back, I sipped my coffee, and I listened. Tom, it sure sounds like you're a busy guy. You're working 60 to 70 hours a week just to support your family. It's really too bad that young people have to work that many hours just to get by. The older man continued, I'm also very sorry to hear that you missed your daughter's recital. But let me share a story that years ago helped me set some new priorities in my life. And so this older man begins to explain his theory of a thousand marbles. You see, Tom, one day, many years ago, I sat down and I did a little math. The average person lives to be 75, give or take a few years, So then I multiplied 75 by 52. 52 is the number of Saturdays you get in one year. The total came to 3,900. 
3,900 Saturdays in an average lifetime, give or take. Now hang in there with me, Tom. I'm getting to the point here. I didn't really get my head around this idea until I was 55 years old. And by that time, Tom, I had already lived through more than 2,800 Saturdays. Now, Tom, I'm guessing you're not even close to 55, so you have a bunch more Saturdays to look forward to. So getting back to my story, I I figured out that if I lived to be 75, that meant that I have 20 years of Saturdays left to go, or about a thousand more to enjoy. This opened my eyes, Tom. I wanted to do something that would force me to focus and to pay attention. That afternoon, I went to a toy store in my area, and I bought all the marbles they had. I actually had to visit three stores, three toy stores, until I had enough. I bought all the marbles home, and I took them down into my basement where I had a room. I could just sit down, and I could relax, a place to be alone when I wanted some space. I had a few large glass jars like the ones you used to get when you would buy pickles. So I took one of those jars, I sat down, and I began counting marbles and putting them into this jar. About 20 minutes later, I had counted out 1,000 marbles. I put the lid on the jar and sat back and just stared at the thing. That's all the Saturdays I got left. Every Saturday since then, I've taken one marble out and I've thrown it away. It became very apparent that time was running out. And it was very important for me to prioritize my time. No one has forever, Tom. Now, before I go and take my lovely wife out for dinner, I just wanted to add that this morning I took the last marble out of that jar. If I get to see next Saturday, well, then I've, I'll have been blessed with a little extra time. We all could use a little more time, son. Think about it. This is 75-year-old Jack Parker signing off at K9GDI, wishing you all a good morning. Nothing but silence as I sat there. You could have heard a pin drop. I was going to go up to the garage roof this morning and work on my antenna, but I decided to do something different. So I went back into the house, I walked upstairs, I gave my wife a good morning kiss, and I said, get up, sweetheart, let's grab the kids, let's go out for breakfast. She smiled at me and asked, what's gotten into you? Nothing really. It's been a while since we've spent a Saturday together. And oh yeah, we need to stop by the toy store too. I need to get some marbles. See, our time is short. Our time is limited, and it does good for us to remember that. We stayed in a a hotel room last week on vacation, and I didn't go to the store and buy a bunch of pictures and redecorate the hotel room. I didn't go to the store and buy a bunch of furniture and some new things to redecorate the room we were staying in. Why? Because I was only staying there a week. That'd be ridiculous, right? It'd be crazy. But in comparison to eternity, that's what life is like. And and, and we're invited to kind of see God 
to, to, to see life from God's perspective. Uh, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. You can turn there if you'd like. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 through 5. He, he kind of says, uh, he gives us this perspective as well uh, about what our life is like. And Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5. He says, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. I love that Paul referred to our bodies as an earthly tent. You know, tents leak. Hopefully you're not leaking this morning. But <laughs> tents leak, right? They deteriorate. They wear out. They're temporary, right? Paul says, meanwhile, we groan in this life, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are here in this tent, we groan and are burdened, right? Our back hurts. My back hurts. I went on a bike ride this, yesterday. My back hurts. In this tent, we groan. We're burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And Paul gives us this great picture uh, of, of our lives being as like tents. They're temporary, right? And, and no seasoned camper drives the stakes too deep in a tent. Why? Because we're leaving in the morning. You don't want to drive those stakes too, too deep. We need to, to work for what counts for eternity. Life is temporary. Now, see, we don't count our days just so we know how many days we have to enjoy. You know, we, we, we count our days because we long for our days to count for eternity. See, counting our days on earth teaches us how to make our days count for eternity. How do we practically do that? Well, you could go to the toy store, I guess, and you could buy some marbles and you could, you could figure out that math. And uh, somebody, um, uh, John Creekmore, uh, this morning after first service grabbed me and he had a, a question mark written on his hand in ink. And he said every morning he wakes up and he, he draws a question mark on his hand so that he sees that. And that question mark represents the fact that he has no idea how long he's going to have to live. So how do we practically do that? Well, I'm going to give you three ways that we, we can practically do this. I want you to think of the ABCs for counting our days. A stands for acknowledge. A stands for acknowledge. Acknowledge that there's no guarantees on how long we have to live. You may live another 20 years. You may live another two days. The Bible says, though, that it's appointed unto man once to die. All of us have an appointment with death. The difficult thing with that is nobody knows when that appointment is set for us. But I guarantee you it's an appointment that you won't miss. Okay? It's appointed under, unto man once to die. So, Acknowledge that there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees. Now, make your plans. Do that. That's fine. But beside every plan that you make, make sure you write a little asterisk saying that, 
subject to change, with or without notice, right? That's what we've lived the whole last two years. Our, our life has been uh, just, you know, that asterisk. Like, I'm not going to make plans, too, too many plans, because it, it's probably going to get changed tomorrow, right? And so A is acknowledge. B stands for breathe. Breathe. Everybody take a deep breath in. Go ahead. Take a deep breath out. Does that feel good? Breathe. Take life in smaller chunks, okay? Don't worry about your whole life. Worry about today. At the end of today, ask yourself, how did I do today? Making today count. I think it's interesting that Moses says, teach us to number our days. He doesn't say, teach us to number our years. He says, teach us to number our our days that we may find, that we may learn, and we we may have a heart of wisdom. Take breaks in your routine. Sit in a different spot on Sunday morning for crying out loud. Take a different route to work in the morning. Go to a different restaurant. Uh, You know, go do, break up your routine. Some of us are so routine driven and routine is good but there's times that we just need to to break it up have some spontaneity in our lives the other way that we can breathe is we can breathe and we can pause and we can wait before taking on new responsibility some of you you take on you say yes way too quick me included at times I want to please people I'm a people pleaser by nature and so I want to make people happy. So they come to me and they ask me to do this and I say yes. And there are times when I need to take a breath and you need to take a breath and we need to pause. Before we say yes, we need to discern. Like, is this what God wants me to do? Is this going to put me in, in a position where I'm going to make the most of what God has for me? And so some of us, we need to breathe. We're going to acknowledge that there's no guarantees in life and and how long we have to live. We're going to breathe and then see is we're going to commit. We're going to commit every day to the Lord. Lord, I want you to be in control of my schedule today. Lord, I'm trusting you to set my agenda. I'm trusting you, Lord, today to control my steps. And when we do that, it's incredible how many times God lines up a divine appointment when we're looking for it, when we've committed in advance that today I'm going to have my eyes wide open looking for somebody to encourage, looking for somebody to share the hope of Jesus with. Next week, we're going to give you an opportunity. We're going to put a balloon in your hand on your way out of here, and you're going to have a natural tool in your hand uh, to, to share the hope of Jesus to share what Jesus has, has done for you by giving that to somebody, by using that little tool of, of, of a balloon and some hot chocolate to, to pray for somebody, to share the hope of Jesus. So we're going to acknowledge, we're going we're gonna to breathe, and we're going to commit. We're going to count our days. Action step number two that Moses gives us is this. We're going to seek God's mercy. We're going to seek God's mercy. How do we seek God's mercy? Moses gives us a pattern for how to seek the mercy of God. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, Psalm 90 says this. It says, relent, Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. What 
Moses is doing is he's, he's calling on the Lord in the middle of his suffering. And that's what we need to do. We need to seek God's mercy by calling on the Lord in the middle of our suffering. Now, this prayer has already been answered in the person of Jesus Christ who bore our sins on the cross. He became sin for us, right? Uh, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God took on our infirmities. He took on all of our sickness. He, he took on uh, all of our sin and he bore it on the cross. That's what Isaiah 53 said. It says, he was pierced for our transgressions, right? He was wounded for our iniquities. That punishment that was, that was brought on Jesus, it brought us peace. We call that idea the great exchange, that God exchanged our punishment for his peace, his life, his salvation. And, and what this means for you and me is, is so huge. It means that there's room in Jesus' wounds for all of our pains that we will experience in this life. Some of you are going through some just really difficult times. Some of you are seeing your marriage disintegrate. You don't want it to. You're trying your best uh, to, to, to cooperate with God and, and to see your marriage be destroyed, but you, there's things you don't have control over. And there's room in Jesus' pain for those wounds that you're, that you're dealing with. Some of you got the news from the doctor. Some of you are dealing with some betrayal from a, a close friend that you placed your trust in and they turned their back on you. There's room, there's room in Jesus' wounds for those pains that you're going through in your life. And we need to see the cross we need to see the cross. Listen to me. We need to see the cross as merely more than just Jesus suffering in this life so that I can go to the next life. There, there, if, we, if we do that, we're missing much of the power of the cross that we have in this life. See, see Jesus, he agonized in, in torment on the cross so that we would view the sufferings in this life differently so that we would have a different perspective of the sufferings that we're going through in this life. See, Jesus experienced darkness so that we can live in the light. He experienced distance from his Father so that we can draw near to God through Jesus. He experienced separation so that nothing can separate us, Romans 8 says. He experienced shame so that we can have honor. He experienced instability so that we can have security in our relationship with God. And because he was forsaken, you can make sense of the times that you were forsaken. And you can go to a God that understands what it means to be forsaken perfectly. That's how great our God is. That's how much we need Jesus. The Greek word for forsaken is the word abandoned. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe you were abandoned by a mother or a father. You grew up without a dad. You grew up without a mom. You grew up without a mom or a dad. Maybe you feel abandoned, uh, you know, in, in, in life right now. Jesus understands that. Another question 
it does beg a question, have you trusted in Jesus? Have you placed your faith and your trust in Jesus? Hopefully you see the, the importance of that this morning. If you haven't, I invite you, today is the day of salvation. Do that today. Uh, and so we need to seek God's mercy by calling on the Lord in the middle of your suffering. Secondly, we seek God's mercy by asking God to help you find satisfaction in Him. Ask God to help you find satisfaction in Him. Verses 14 and 15, I love these verses. It's Moses crying out to God in prayer, and he's saying, Satisfy us in the morning, Lord, with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. He's saying, make us glad for, for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. It's seeking God's mercy and crying out to God that, that we would find satisfaction in God. Do you find satisfaction in, in God? Is God enough for you? Is Jesus enough for you? This is one of the best prayers that, that we could ever pray. See, our, our hearts were meant to find their ultimate delight in, in Jesus. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he said this, he said, God cannot give us a happiness and a peace apart from himself because it's not there. It's not there. There's no such thing. Look at verse 17 as we wrap things up. It says, may the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So finally, we need to pray that God's favor would rest on our lives. Pray that God would show you his favor in the coming year. Pray that God's blessing would be all over your life as you submit your plans, as you submit your life to him. Without his help, you can do nothing. I like to say it like this. God will bless the work of your hands when the work of your hands is his work. And so commit the work of your hands to him, to his work. That's where we find God's blessing. Uh, I, I, I love... Um, an author, Henry, Henry Blackaby, said this, look for where God is moving and join him in the process. And that's what we need to do. So the bottom line for us this morning as we wrap things up is this. The bottom line is since God is eternal and since our lives are short and hard, we will number our days and seek his mercy. And when we do, we have the right perspective on life. Lord, we need your help. We need your wisdom in this. This is not something that comes naturally to us. It only comes as we, we yield our lives to you, as we are intentional about counting our days, recognizing that our life is short. There are no promises. God, I'm grateful that you are everlasting to everlasting, that you always were. And that means that same God that met Moses in the wilderness over 4,000 years ago is the same God that hasn't changed one bit. Lord, thank you for that truth and that reality. God, we want to we be standing in the right spot, right in front of you with our gaze set on you. Lord, teach us how to have the right perspective in this life, Lord. We want to honor you. Pray that you would establish the work of our hands 
as we keep our eyes fixed on you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.